Well, good morning. Chuck's preaching today. <laughs> hey, I'm, uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. <clears throat> you guys are, I can't thank you enough. I've got so much encouragement, and I'm so grateful for a church like this. Um, I have to say I'm grateful uh, to, to our leadership who's willing to do something like this. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.6 says, Paul says to Timothy, remember, uh, reminder to you to fan into flame the gift that you have. And I've had opportunity after opportunity uh, to do that sort of thing with, with music and all sorts of things. So I'm grateful. I'm standing on the shoulders of so many of you. So thanks. Um, but I'm excited to share. So uh, let's do this. Let, let me pray and then let's dive in. Yeah? <clears throat> Lord, how, it, how good it is to gather as a body. So grateful for our church family, both here in Springfield and throughout the world, as we just learned with Scott and Cindy. And now, Father, as we open your word, I ask that you would strengthen us with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to read through the passage, because I think that's going to help us as I kind of dance in and out of it a little bit. And then I want to tell you what this is about, and then we'll, we'll hop in. So let's just read through the Word of God. Always good. Um, if you did not bring a Bible with you, there are Bibles underneath the, the chairs in front of you. You can pick one up there. And we are on page 845. We just want to become first-handers with the Word of God. So we're in chapter 13 of Hebrews. And we're going to start with verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. This is what I see in these verses. This is the message that God has laid on my heart, and uh, it has impacted me in a major way these last couple weeks as I've gone through it. So um, what I see is the supremacy of Jesus Christ, which is spoken about again and again in Hebrews. We've been going through Hebrews now for 11 weeks, right? And we hear again and again, hey, here's a picture of Jesus. Here's another picture of Jesus. You can look on the back of your notes and see where we've been. He is supreme. He is one of us. He is our firm foundation. Just walk down that list. The supremacy of Jesus Christ leads to grace-strengthened sacrifice. Supremacy of Jesus Christ, and let's just use this as a symbol today for the supremacy of Jesus Christ because he was, he is, and he is to come. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I like to do this because I like to remember who I am, right? On this continuum of time, here we are. 
Grace strengthened. It's going to draw a picture of the cross. Grace strengthened. Picture of his love. Sacrifice. I'm going to call this a lifestyle. of worship. Okay? So as I hop around these message notes, if you ever get confused, come back to the whiteboard. <laughs> it will be your friend. Okay? So as I said, we're, we're looking at picture in picture after Jesus, of Jesus Christ. We're fixing our eyes on him. The author says this. I'd say it's the, the message of the book. Consider Jesus in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 12, look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And I don't know about you, uh, but I often am good at fixing my eyes on, on other things. Anybody? Don't, don't leave me up here all by myself. But I'm good at fixing my eyes on my problems. I'm good at fixing my eyes on my self-image. I'm good at fixing my eyes on a lot of things that have to do with me, possessions, whatever it is. And I could tell countless stories, but I, I chose one. Um, and this took place back in 2003. I've shared this story once before. I was driving back and forth from Branson, Missouri to Springfield, Illinois, going back and forth, back and forth. I had a job down in Branson. And I drove past an auto dealership several times. And auto dealerships have their cars all laid out in front. And there was one in particular that sparkled magnificently. And I think every time I drove by, the, cards, the clouds parted and the sun shone down on this one car and it spoke to me. It said, Chuck, I was made for you. <laughs> Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, come to me. And um, I went. That was my mistake, right? I went. This was a 2004, this was in 2003, this was a 2004 Burnt Orange Grand Prix GTS. Yes. Burnt Orange. Who buys a Burnt Orange car? Thank you. You must be the other person in Springfield. We drive by each other and say, hey, we're the two people that have Burnt Orange cars. <laughs> yeah. So there's nothing wrong with buying a car, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's not the point. The point is there's, there's something wrong with being consumed with purchasing a car. There's something wrong with being consumed with our problems, with this, with that, fixing our eyes on, on that. So if you're following along in your notes, we worship, we fix our eyes on whatever is at the center of our hearts. We worship whatever is at the center of our hearts. I wonder if we can rethink worship a bit this morning as a lifestyle and the fact that we're all worshipers, and we all do this constantly as humans. Some of us think, man, we're not good worshipers. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> I, I beg to differ that you are. We all fix our eyes on things, and our hearts are pulled in different directions. Psalm 86, 11. We'll put that up on the screen. It says, maybe we won't. It says, <laughs> teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth Unite my heart to fear your name. A great prayer to pray. Because my heart is torn in different directions. My heart is torn in different directions. But, but he wants us to worship him. He wants us to come completely to him. 
So following along in our notes, if Jesus is supreme, he deserves our whole life. He deserves our whole heart. He deserves all our worship. Yes? Whatever's at the center of our hearts, we worship. And I'm going to argue we attempt to find our strength there. And Jesus wants us to find our strength completely in him. But we're often tempted to find our strength elsewhere. So before we dive directly into the passage, I want to do one more thing. I want to look at how was Jesus tempted to divide his heart? Because he was. Jesus was tempted just like us. We better think if, if he, Satan's going to tempt Jesus, certainly he's going to tempt us. So I won't go into the passage completely, but I want us to see three things that Satan tempts us to strengthen our hearts with, if you're following along. Three things Satan tempts us to strengthen our hearts with. In Matthew 4, 3, Satan says to Jesus, turn that rock into bread. Possessions. You're the son of God, turn that rock into bread. Possessions can kill us. Yeah? Vehicles, houses, technology, iPhones, iPads, iPods, I could name a lot of other. <laughs> yeah. Relationships, pleasure, substance, possessions. Matthew 4, 6. Satan says, be the son of God. Throw yourself down. The angels will catch you. Why you prove to the world who you are? Prestige. Prestige. Self-esteem. How much does so-and-so like me and my family and my ideas and my new Pontiac Grand Prix GTS? You know? How great was the worship set, often for me? How great will people think this message is? How successful am I? How, how much does Jesus like me? That's a slippery one. What can I do to make him like me more? It doesn't work like that. It's unconditional. We can be consumed with this kind of stuff. How about Matthew 4, 8? Worship me, says Satan, and all this that you see will be yours. Which is kind of funny because it's already his. Power. Power. Over other people, over our future, over circumstances. And what were the recipients of this letter being tempted by? This small Jewish church, what were they being tempted by? These three things? I think so. Right? We learned their property was being looted. There's possessions. We learned they didn't really know this new religion that was being introduced to them, this following Christ. They knew Judaism. They were outside of their comfort zone. They wanted control. They wanted to save face with the Jewish leaders. All this kind of thing. All this kind of thing. So what's the author do? He gives them 10 steps on how to not be tempted by Satan, right? No. He gives them 55 plus pictures of Jesus Christ. That's what he does. It's like, let me just show you how Jesus is supreme in this way, and in this way, and in this way, and how about like this, and I'll show you him here. Boom, boom, boom. You see up on the banners. And that's not even all of them. It's hard to see, right? But all descriptions of Jesus. It's like he gets to the, the end of the letter right here in Hebrews 13, 8, and he has no other descriptions. And so what does he say? This is a verse worth memorizing. This is a promise you can take to the bank. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All these things that I told you about Jesus in the book of Hebrews, all of them, he was like that in the beginning, he's still like that today, and he will be like that till the end of time. This, this is a crazy claim, right? 
Because me, I could change in four, four minutes or so, three minutes. I can be a different person. Somebody steals something of mine or all of a sudden I have a flat tire or I'm just not. We're not like him. We're not like him. I read this quote this week. I thought this was good. Human personality never ceases changing. Some freshen with time, others sour. Most do a little of both. Newtonian physics is replaced by Einstein. Forests fade into deserts. The only thing that is sure is change for us. But not so with Jesus Christ, amen. He never changes. Psalm 102, 27. You are the same and your years have no end. And I wonder if we can just say this verse together. It's written there on your notes. Hopefully I have this memorized while we walk out of here. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want to look at three implications of this. And these are numbered on your message notes, one, two, and three, all the way down. And we'll fill them all in right now. Okay? Number one, I want to consider who Jesus was yesterday. Let's just look at some pictures. Number two, I want to remember who Jesus is today. And number three, I want to look forward to eternity with Jesus forever. So let's consider. I wonder, have you ever considered that Jesus was like no other person ever to walk the face of the earth? You ever think about this? We'll look at all these pictures from the book of Hebrews. We'll just pull pictures out of the Bible that Hebrews that we haven't even looked at in this series, right? So Hebrews 1.9 says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness beyond his companions. That's awesome. Jesus was the most joyful person to walk the face of the earth. In fact, Matthew 22.1-10 compares being in his presence to being at a wedding feast. How's that? That's good, isn't it? Bob, you're so great to be around. You're like being at a wedding feast. I just, I just love you. You're great. And people flock to him. We see it in the Gospels. We see crowds come to him all the time. They want to be near him. Yeah? So, if he's like that then, if he's like that yesterday, he's like that today. What's that mean for us? He greets me with a smile when I go to him. Yeah? He delights in spending time with me. He wants to make me joyful. John 17, 13. And that first line there, you just write joy. Yeah? Joy. And you might, you might correct the reference, John 17, 13, not John 17, 3. But he wants to make me joyful. He wants us to have his joy. When I come to him, he's glad to see me. How about a second picture? Three pictures of Jesus. Second picture, authority. You can write authority in that line. Again, from Hebrews. Hebrews 1, 3. He's the heir of all things. He's the creator of the world. The heir of all things. Everything we come into contact. He's the heir. He's the creator of the world, made everything. He's the, the radiance of the glory of God. I'm going with that guy. Put two people up next to each other. I'm going with the guy that created the world. I'm going with him. That's authority. That's unreal. Or how about when people encountered his teaching? Yeah? They couldn't believe Jesus' authority. Because here for the first time, they are seeing someone in flesh whose walk matches their talk perfectly. No one ever seen anything like that. I mean, some people get close, but this guy's unbelievable. And if you heard his teaching, 
He teaches us different, not like the scribes, Matthew 7, 28. When Jesus finished teaching, the crowds were astonished, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So what does that mean for us today? He was, he had full authority then, yesterday. He's like that today, right? How about over death? How about over death in our own lives? That's 100% certainty for everyone in this room. 100% certainty. And, and often we don't even think about it. And it's coming for each of us in a certain amount of time. And it causes a lot of anxiety. And I want you to know today that Jesus Christ has 100% authority over death. He rose from the grave. He's alive. And we have no fear in death because of that. That's authority. That's how it affects us today. He's like that yesterday. He's like that today. How about in anything you're facing? Anything you're facing. He's got authority over that. And chances are he probably encountered it too. He has overcome so we can overcome. How about with our enemy, Satan? He has complete authority over Satan, complete. We can have confidence in that. One more picture, Hebrews 3.2. Let's look at faithfulness, yes? Is Jesus supreme in faithfulness? Absolutely. He's supreme in all of this. Hebrews 3.2, he was faithful to him who appointed him. Praise his name, he was faithful to him who appointed him. He was faithful to his calling. Is anybody glad about that? He was faithful unto death. He was faithful in his promises. He was faithful to the disciples when time and time again they, they deserted him when he was arrested. They fell asleep when he asked them to pray. They denied him. They argued about who was the greatest in the kingdom. And he, was never, he never said, I'm done with you guys. I'm not, he's faithful. He's coming, coming back. He just kept coming back to them. What's that mean for us? 2 Timothy 2.13, great verse. When we are unfaithful, he is faithful. He's faithful. When I fail, does he walk out on me? No, just like the disciples. He's the same yesterday and today. He's with me. He encourages. Sometimes he challenges. He's not walking out. He's faithful. He doesn't judge. He doesn't talk about me behind my back. He's not annoyed. He never stops interceding for me. He's faithful. Same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's move 13.9. 13.8 is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 13.9 and I want to walk through this passage of Scripture here. Just these next few verses. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, for it's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Verse 11, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. Verse 12, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Wow, it's a mouthful. I think a lot of us look at that scripture and we go, oh, man. <laughs> Let's go down a little bit to do good and share with others. I understand that. And I'm not going to get into everything about Jewish food laws and ceremonial laws and all that, but I do want us to see one thing here. And you can just write next to verse 9 through verse 12 in the margin of your Bible, all for writing in our Bibles, yeah? You can just write the word grace. The word grace. 
Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. There it is in verse 9. Where else is it? I'd argue it's in verse 10. We have an altar from which... We have an altar. Who's, who has an altar? We do. Who? We who, who follow Christ, who follow Jesus. We have an altar. What's our altar? From which those who minister at the tabernacle, from those who serve other religions, have no right to eat. Where do we eat? What's our altar that we eat at? I'm going to argue that's communion. I'm going to argue that's the bread and the cup. Grace. Verse 12. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Grace, grace, grace. It's a picture of grace. I think the author of this letter is so brilliantly holding up grace in this hand. And he's saying, you, you guys, you're strengthening your hearts with food laws. And the point isn't what they're strengthening their hearts with, because we just talked about we all strengthen our hearts with something different, right? So whatever we're strengthening our hearts with, he says, you're strengthening your hearts with these food laws, with all these laws going back to Jews. Here's grace, and here's food laws. Here's grace, and here's power. Here's grace and prestige, grace and possessions. Every single time, grace takes the cake. It's not even close. You could be strengthened by these things, but man... That's not going to work the best. Be strengthened by grace, the unmerited, unparalleled, undeserved king who left his throne, came down to carry a cross for you and for me, the Lord, the creator of the world, who came down, made himself one of us, died on the throne. We'll be singing about that forever. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. That's what's reigning over everything. Grace, undeserved grace. It's good for your hearts to be strengthened by grace. Remember him. Just this month, my parents celebrated their birthdays. They're about a, a week apart. They celebrate their birthdays every year. And uh, they celebrate them in May. And uh, I asked them if, if this was okay, so otherwise, uh, they turned, they turned uh, 60, and we just celebrated this year. We went up to Wrigley Field. We caught a, a, a Cubs game with the whole family. That's why I need to be strengthened by grace. Yeah, ha, ha. <coughs> someday, someday. But we decided that we, would, uh, we wanted to get them a gift. And so what we did is, uh, is we made a photo book, which I know many, many of you have done that too, and uh, in it we put 60 reasons we were grateful. Kind of all, the whole family did that, 60 reasons we were grateful. And it was a, a task to get done, and we had a deadline, and we waited too long, and we're, we're working at getting it done. And, uh, but as we did it, it, it became so much more than a task. You know? started, started thinking about memories, thinking about... Uh, what my parents have done for me when it comes to sacrifice, um, laundry, meals, 30 plus years of all this, right? Advice, 30 plus years of putting up with my nonsense. My heart just starts to get strengthened by grace. Start thinking about who they are and, and what they've done. And in that moment, man, I'm not thinking about power. I'm not thinking about possessions. 
I'm not thinking about any prestige. I was thinking about the sacrifice that my parents have made for me. So how much more will we be strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ? The lamb who was slain who gave everything he had for us. Extremely high invitation. You can have the keys to the kingdom, he says. I'm gonna give you eternal life. I'm gonna be with you all, and I'm gonna pay for it myself on the cross. How much more will be strengthened by that grace? So there's many ways that we can be strengthened by grace. We can do what we're doing right now. We can think on Jesus. We can consider him from the scriptures. We can look for him in different places. We did that earlier. We can thank him for what he's done. One of the things we can do is we can sing to him. We sing to him, remember what he's done. So I don't, I don't want to move on right now. I just want to sing to him together because this is something we can do at any time. This is something we don't have to do in church together. This is something we can do driving down the road. We don't need instruments for it. So what if we just sing a familiar verse or a familiar hymn about his grace? We'll sing the first verse here, and I want us to think on the fact that Jesus Christ was the same yesterday as we sing this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Sing the second verse. Let's remember that he's the same today. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. We'll sing the last verse and think on the fact that Jesus is the same forever. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Oh Lord, we just thank you for your grace, for your undeserved mercy. We pray that you'd help us to remind ourselves of it more often and be strengthened by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you're following along, what strengthens my heart? Is it grace or is it fill in the blank? 
Verse 13. One more section of Scripture and we're done. Verse 13. And I like the ESV translation here. It says, therefore, therefore. I think this therefore is the therefore for the whole letter. In light of everything Jesus has done, in light of everything I've told you about him, in light of his grace, therefore, let us then go to him. Let's go. Let's go to him. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. We don't have any lasting city here. We seek the city that's to come. Verse 15, through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Verse 16, and do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And I've been thinking on a question recently, and I've been wrestling with it a lot, and I'll pose it here. What does God think about worship? How does he define it? What's he pleased by in our worship? Is he he most pleased with louder singing? When we really bring the volume, does he get pleased? Is he pleased with our passion? If we have a higher passion level, is he more pleased? Or, Or when we perfectly play riffs on an instrument, or if our vocals are perfectly mixed, or if everyone has their hands in the air, is he most pleased? Or if everyone has their hands down, is he most pleased? For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. If it doesn't come with sacrifice, if it's not from the heart. Let's look at a few verses on the screen. 1 Peter 2.5 You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual, what? Sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, grace, there it is, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. He just spells it all out right there. Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us. There's grace. Right there, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love, it's a sacrifice to God. You know the first time we see worship in the Bible? Where's the first time the word worship is mentioned in the Bible? It's in Genesis, that'd be a good guess. First book of the Bible, it's in Genesis 22, verse 5. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Many of us know that story, but let me retell a bit of it here, yes. The story goes that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son. Sacrifice your only son. Makes me think of John 3.16, for God so loved the world he gave his only son. Sacrifice your only son on Mount Moriah. So Abraham saddled the donkey, that's what it says in Genesis 22. Makes me think of Jesus riding in on a donkey, yeah? And Abraham put the wood on his son's back to carry. Makes me think of Jesus carrying his cross. And before they made the trek up to the place, Abraham turned to his servants in verse 5 and he said, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over and worship. 
and then we will return to you, he says. First time we see worship in the Bible. What's he saying? High cost from the heart, costly sacrifice. He's also trusting. You see trust there. He says, we'll come back. We learn in Hebrews he's trusting God's going to raise him from the dead. Now, there's one other word that happens the first time in this story. Does anyone know what it is? It's worship. And we also see love used for the first time in this story. In the Bible, love starts with a father being willing to give his son. If you're following along, worship equals sacrifice, equals cost, means from the heart, it means love. And the crazy thing about it all is this love is modeled first by the one who deserves our worship. So if you're like me, oftentimes I've read this story in the past, the story of Abraham and Isaac, and what do I think? I think, I can't believe that God would ask anybody to do something like that. I just... That kind of a God, I don't understand. But if we dig a little deeper, what is it that we see? What is it that we see? We see God saying, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I'm going to do so that you can have the treasure, the inheritance, the keys to the kingdom, so that you can have life and have it to the full. John 19, 17, he went out bearing his own cross to the place called Gagatha. Therefore, Hebrews 13, 13, let us go out, same Greek word, go out to him and bear the disgrace he endured. He went out. Let us go out. How do we do it? Bear, bear reproach, he says. And some of you are doing that right now, out in the community, out in your workplaces, out in where you are, and people are mocking you for following Jesus. He's with you. He bore reproach. He wants you to know that. He bore reproach. He said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. Sacrifice of praise. Lips that are ready to acknowledge his name. He says, would you be willing to lift my name up to others because I'm lifting your name up to the Father every day. I'll never stop interceding for you. I am faithful. Would you mention my name to others so they can hear about me? Do good and share what you have. I'm going to give you everything I have, he said. Would you be willing to do that for some others? And why? Why do we do this? Because of grace, because he did it first, but even more so, I think we see it in verse 14, right? Verse 14. Because we have no lasting city here. This stuff that we're serving here, whatever it is, power, prestige, possessions, whatever it is, and this stuff's going away. It's fleeting. If anyone needs proof of that, you can come out in the parking lot after the service and take a look at my Pontiac Grand Prix. <laughs> I mean, it is on its last leg. <laughs> It's a hole in the seat. The rims are all corroded, and so the tires have to be filled up like every four days or so. There's an alarm that goes off because the computer's shot, but it costs like $5,000 to replace it. Every time my daughter gets in, she says, Daddy, why all the alarms? What's with the alarms? I say, Honey, my car is fleeting. <laughs> this is all passing away. It's not going to stay. It's not going to stay. But we seek the city that's to come. Amen? We seek the city that's to come, and the light and the king of that city, 
Jesus Christ, our great reward, our treasure, grace. Grace, we see it there. He's who we want to be with. Just like the disciples wanted to be with him, he was that way then. Everybody wanted to be around him. Look at the stories. He had to back up into boats sometimes to teach because everybody was just coming to him. They couldn't get enough. What's he going to say next? And he's the same today, and that's what it's going to be like when we're with him. Sometimes we forget that. We're going to want to be there. He's our treasure. He's our reward. He's our great Savior. He's our great high priest. He's our firm foundation. He's a sure and steadfast anchor. Our, our joy, full of authority, faithful. He appears in the presence of God on our behalf. He's crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. He made purification for sins. He's the radiance of God's glory, the creator of the world, the final revelation. He's the one we worship. He's supreme over all. All things are from him. All things are through him. All things are to him. To him be the glory forever. And we'll spend eternity with him. The last book of the Chronicles of Narnia series. It's called The Final Battle. It ends with this quote. And before I read it, you can fill in the last line of your notes. In light of his unprecedented, unending grace, I'd add the word how there. How is he asking me to give my whole life? How is he asking me to live a life of sacrifice? Scott and Cindy are going to come back out. They're going to sing a song. And I want you to just consider that question. I just want to consider who Jesus is. And here's that quote. The Chronicles of Narnia. All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last... They were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. When it's all been said and done There is just one thing that matters Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? When it's all been said and done All my treasures will mean nothing Only what I've done for love's reward Will stand the test of time When 
Lord, your mercy is so great that you look beyond our weakness and find purest gold in miry clay, making sinners into saints. And I will always sing your praise here on earth and ever after. For you've shown me heaven's my true home when it's all been said and done. You're my life when life is gone. When it's all been said and done There is just one thing that matters Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? Lord, I'll live my life for you So grateful for Scott and Cindy being here and singing that song. And uh, I guess I want to tell you as well, I'm grateful for this church family. I'm grateful for the way that you spur me on to run this race, to fix our eyes on him, no matter what comes. Aren't you grateful we do this together? We don't have to do this alone. Even if we're going through hard times, we've got each other, we'll remind each other, hey, there's a day that's coming. This is only the rehearsal. It's going to be unbelievable. So, I want to pray for you. And I want you to know that after the service, there'll be people down here. I'll be down here to pray with you if you need prayers. Uh, but can I ask you to stand? Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Oh Lord, what to say? in the presence of such grace and such love. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters. God, would you allow us to be strengthened by your grace. As we leave here and we go back out into the world, remind us, Lord, there's a day that's coming. God, help us to live a lifestyle of worship to you. May you get the glory again and again. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.